Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Thank you, Brad, and the team for leading us uh, so great in, in song. <clears throat> I, Tolamo, I might need that a water because I was singing really hard. And there's, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, brother. Um, it's great to have the opportunity to uh, preach God's word and continue in our book of First Corinthians. So if you wouldn't mind opening uh, your Bibles in First Corinthians chapter 3. And today we will be reading from verse 6 to the end of the chapter 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 6 to 23. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds Upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he <clears throat> himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the, <clears throat> he catches the wise. In their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, war, or, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Lord, indeed. Um, speak to us tonight, Lord. Um, may your word uh, really penetrate our hearts. Uh, please, Lord, would you uh, calm me? 
Would you speak through me? I'd be your vessel, Lord, and speak to us, starting with my own heart. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. So, about two weeks ago, <clears throat> the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest uh, Protestant denomination in the, in the States, uh, they met, and it's over 10,000, uh, they call it messengers, representatives of churches. And um, there was, one of the issues was that uh, Rick Warren, who is uh, the pastor of uh, Saddleback Church, which is a very known, large, megachurch, um, they were considering removing uh, his church from the Southern Baptist uh, denomination because they had appointed three women uh, pastors. And um, now there was uh, talk about will they... Will his church be removed or not? Uh, because according to the Southern Baptist Statement of Faith, uh, uh, the role of pastor is um, restricted to men. And so um, Rick Warren goes to the mic and he um, wants to address and starts addressing by the, the convention by saying... Uh, they always allowed uh, the, someone who is about to be hanged to, to, to say their last words. Um, and then he went on to speak for about six minutes. But it was a very interesting, uh, he called it a, a love letter, but if you listen to it, it's, it just sounds like a humble brag. He expressed for six minutes just how uh, he had started a church from 1980, and he had planted 90 churches, and his leadership baptized 56,631 believers and uh, sent 26,869 members uh, to overseas. And he said he, he trained 1.1 million pastors. And he told the rest of the convention, sorry, brothers, this is more than all the seminaries combined. And went on to say that uh, um, how he um, had put all these more than 9,000 um, uh, Bible study groups and so on and so on. And it was, in a way, uh, trying to vindicate this, the ministry that he had, in a way, established. And we're going to later see a contrast, but what, what kind of foundation, what kind of building, what kind of uh, structure are we building in, in our ministries? Is it numbers that validate our ministries? For example, uh, an, an article came out, and um, Jabu shared it, very, very helpful. Um, and someone pointed out, it, uh, by the figures he gave, he would have had to um, baptize 3.7 new believers per day 
you know, and sent out roughly two members overseas per day and trained around 72 pastors per day. And these figures are enough to make even Charles Spurgeon blush. <laughs> what kind of ministry, what kind of building are we building? And last week, Jabu uh, finished his sermon saying, I'm going to give the prescription for spiritual dwarfness. I, ha- I think I have to <laughs> start with that. So here is the start of the prescription where, where we start in verse 6, and that is to focus on the task that God gave you. Focus on the task that God gave you. Paul says there, I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. There is two distinctive roles there. There is someone that is actually planting. That means digging. And there is uh, putting seed inside. And then there is someone else that is doing something completely different to that person that planted. That someone else is, is watering. Now, if you've been in, in ministry uh, long enough, and I don't know, I think uh, the other pastors might, might relate to this. You, you've spent a lot of time and effort and hours on someone, and then <clears throat> you move or someone else says something to them, and then, bah, conversion and heart transformation, and you had spent hours and hours and nothing ever happened from your lips, uh, you know, that they, it will make them click. And then someone else that maybe just came or a visiting pastor says something you've said all along, and then boom, <laughs> conversion is like, really? That, that guy? <laughs> But what, what is Paul's focus here? He's saying, focus in what, what has been given to you. Now, the, the big context of between chapter 2 and goes up until chapter 4 is um, Paul is addressing division. And Paul wants, wants unity. And so there are different people and different work. We are all servants, and God is the grower. There is, we all play different roles in the labor of ministry in God's kingdom. And we have to understand this because we have been entrusted with different things. Because otherwise, you're going to keep comparing yourself to other people that haven't been entrusted with something different than you. You're, You're wanting... You're looking at the planters like, wow, those are great, and I want to be like that, but God has called you to water and not to plant. Maybe God has called you to, to water and not to plant. And so it is to understand that there are different roles. They were, what, what was happening here in, in, in in Corinth, is they were boasting on behalf of Paul and Apollos and Peter and so on. They were, they were like um, becoming proud and associated. No, my, my, my group is, is, is Peter or, or Paul. 
And Paul is like, you're not understanding. We are all in the same team. We have different roles. There's no reason for the boasting. There's no reason for this unity. And so spiritual growth and unity will come when we focus on that which God has placed in your hands. Whether that be planting or whether that be watering. I have been uh, in a few churches and, and what is interesting is a lot of times those that complain the most are the ones that are not doing anything. It's just a, a, a reality. And so those that are serving where God has placed them, they start growing. They will stop being they will start eating meat. They won't be just drinking milk as a, a spiritual baby. If you are serving and being faithful in the place and ministry that God has placed you, you are going to start growing. But secondly, Paul reminds us that God must get all the glory. There is no reason for them to boast about those men. He says in, in verse 7, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And, and that, is, that is a strong language because it pierces like just a, a prideful heart that wants to boast about numbers and look at what I've done. And, and, and our hearts tend to... to um, pride ourselves. We are often self-centered. And Paul goes on, it's like, actually, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. The glory must be to God. It won't grow. Unless God makes it grow, it won't grow. So you have nothing to be boasting about because you weren't going to make it grow anyways. It is God that gives the growth. The glory must be, give, must be given to God. And, and what is remarkable here is that Paul is saying this of himself. If, if, if we read, he said, I planted, Apollos watered. And then he goes on to say, neither of us is anything. God is the one that gets the glory. God is the one that gives the growth. Thirdly, we must recognize in the labor that both the reward and the work may differ. Both the reward and the, and the work may differ. Verse 8, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So you might have different roles, different things have been entrusted to you, but the reward will be given according to your faithfulness. We see, um, we can see this differentiation in, in how God rewards works when he, um, Jesus speaks in Matthew uh, chapter 6. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." So there's a different reward of someone that doesn't blow his own trumpet and boasts about it. And the person that does it there and wants to show off to everyone, he's not going to get the same reward. That, That was his reward already. Each one of us have been placed in the church with... Uh, different gifts, different abilities, and different work entrusted to us. And you be faithful in that which God has given to you. Rewards will be different. You don't worry about the reward or the work of the person next to you. You worry about yours. Our relationship with Christ is unique. And the Bible says that God entrusts to that, that one who is faithful in the little will be given more. And so you be faithful in the little that you have received. And then Paul reminds them who is really in charge, that we are God's workers Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. It's like, this is not about the great Peter or the great Apollos or the great Paul. God is in charge. We are God's workers, you're God's field, God's building. He is in charge. D.A. Carson says, What Paul finds inexcusable is the kind of phony and defensive attachment to one particular leader that results in one upmanship, quarreling, and jealousy. Implicitly, such allegiance is making too much of one person. It verges on assigning that that person God-like status. And, And... we, we do have our heroes. We do have people that we, we look up to. But remember, it's, it's God's work, God's building, God's field. He is the only, he's the only one that has God's status. No other man, no other celebrity pastor, nothing like that. We are God's workers. But secondly, he, we go on to my uh, second point, the foundation, nature, and test of this, this work. And, and as I was reading this over and over again, it seems like at the, at the end of verse 9, and he says God's building, and he grabs that analogy of building, and he's going to now go on to speak about Building. I thought, Eugene, you might enjoy this. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. 
Look at where he starts. According to the grace of God given to me. Even though he's going to say, I, I laid a foundation as a master builder. He starts, listen, it, it wasn't me. It was God's grace given to me. It's because of that that I'm going to lay this foundation. That I was able to lay this foundation. And there is no foundation but Christ. Christ is the foundation. You know, I, I listened carefully to, to Rick Warren's speech uh, more than once. And not once he attributed all of those statistics to God or to God's grace. To him, his wife, Saddleback, or the Southern Baptist work. But nothing was attributed to God in his grace. Unless your foundation is Christ... Whatever work you're doing, whatever ministry you're involved in, unless your foundation is Christ, sooner or later your sandcastle is going to fall. Christ is the foundation. Juan Sanchez, which was um, one of the, um, he preached there on on that um, uh, convention, and there was. a very clear contrast regarding what he said in Rick Warren's speech. This is what he says. We cannot build a church on any other foundation. Brothers, pastors, I appeal to you, if our primary end is merely church growth, we will be tempted to build on other foundations. We're tempted to build our churches on a foundation of music styles or age-graded ministries or even politics or social justice or even our own personalities. Growth that comes by something other than the Word of God about Jesus is not lasting, nor is it God-glorifying. What you win people with is what you win them to. And, and here is a, a, a great reminder for each one of us in whatever ministries we find ourselves in. What is the foundation being established by you? Is it, is it me? Is it our personalities? Is it fun? You know, entertainment? Is it food? Guys, Food, food can draw a crowd. <laughs> is it a particular cause? Is it social justice? Is it political views? Unless Christ is the foundation of our ministries, it will tumble down. He goes on to say, our work will be tested. The nature of, of those works will be tested, verse 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Every single work that we do for God is going to be tested. 
we are, we are going to give an account for the work that we have done. Now, don't get me wrong. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you are safe in God's precious hands. But the Bible does say that we are going to give an account of the work that has been entrusted to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, Juan Sanchez says, Our ministries will be tested through the fire. You will stand before the Lord, I will stand before the Lord, and we will give an account. On that day, when our ministry is tested by fire, the only thing that will remain is that which has been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ with eternal materials. And everything else will be consumed by the Lord's fire. Which leads us to, to the next. The nature of your work will be revealed. On that last day, it will be revealed the nature of the works that you've done. You know, I was, I was picturing this, so bear with me on this analogy. This is what my imagination led me to. It's like we are there in judgment time, and then it's like have, Isaac has a file, and there is so um, one file it is, and there is, okay, this, this file has, um, he led worship at that one conference. We put it through the fire, all right? And as the fire um, burns that, that file, either a, a diamond will fall on the tray or it will be just evaporated. Our, all our works will be tested by the fire. I, I remember years ago hearing um, uh, just a, a sermon on this, and the pastor was saying, a lot of those, uh, you know, those maybe you didn't put any effort, your foundation was in Christ, devotions, gone. The fire just consumed. All our works will be tested. Oh, that, that preaching time that you had there uh, at, at Glen Haven or something, and you, you just relied on your own uh, experience and excellence. Gone. Consumed by the fire. No reward. No diamond left over. Every single one of our works will be tested by fire. What will, what will it produce? Will it produce any reward? Or will it just be consumed entirely by the fire? It makes us think, doesn't it? How do we do ministry? If any ministry we do that does not come from a place where our foundation is Christ, where we maybe are relying on our experience, on our intellect, on any other foundation that is not Christ, is just going to be consumed. Our works will be revealed. And one, one more time, Juan Sanchez says this encouragement uh, thing to, to pastors. 
You don't need to be known outside your town. You don't need to write a book. You don't need to be in, on a conference platform. If you are faithfully preaching the word, the Father knows who you are, and the Father is pleased. So trust the Lord and preach the word. So what kind of ministry, what kind of work are you producing? He goes on then from to verse 16 and 17, which seems very random. And he goes on to say, you are the temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are the temple. <clears throat> There's something to take notice here. In verse 16, when he says, you are God's temple. In the Greek, it's plural. So it is not, it's not speaking of you individually, but Paul here is addressing the church. You, you as an assembled church, you are God's temple. And Paul here, in, in, he knows that both Jews and Gentiles, they have the idea of temple of some, as something very sacred. Temple, the, the concept of temple is a sacred place, and Paul appeals to that. The temple was holy, and if any man subsequently destroyed it, it might be presumed that God would destroy him. So here, as one commentator says, the figurative sense is, if any man by his doctrines or precepts shall pursue such a course as stands to destroy the church, God shall severely punish him. If any man pursues to destroy the temple, the assembled church of God, God will destroy them. And I want to make a double application here. Since commentators point, um, make two different cases regarding verse 17 for unbelievers and, and believers. But this is, this is points, Paul's point. The church of God is holy. It is not to be messed with. So if you are a believer, take heed of this warning. Don't mess with the bride of Christ. And the context here is specifically about unity. Don't try to destroy the temple by bringing division to the church of God. The church... The God values the unity of the church. We were reminded this week of how, how important it is for us to love one another, love one another, love one another. We have all the, uh, we can have differences on secondary issues, but we ought to love one another and be united in Christ. And so there is a sacredness. And now a big warning here to, to keep the church holy. He, um, God's temple is holy and we are the temple. The Holy Spirit indwells us. 
But secondly, if you are an unbeliever, and maybe you think you're a believer and continue in your sin, and maybe you bring false teachings and disunity to the temple of God, God will destroy you. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God does not take lightly anyone messing with His holy temple, with the church of God. But lastly, He, he kind of is doing a whole around and He's starting he starts in verse 6 with not boasting in men, and he ends with that in, from 18 to 23. There's no reason for us to boast in men. Some of these men were, as I said earlier, boasting on behalf of, of others. They thought they were wiser than the next person just because they followed Peter or they followed Apollos or they, um, um, or they followed Paul, and Paul rebukes them. Verse 10, uh, 20, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. In verse 21, he goes on to say, so let no one boast in men. Now, what is interesting here is that Paul, his argument from verse 21 to 23 is actually saying, you are actually reducing, you're being too narrow in your view of, of, of things. You're following one man. You're following Peter, or you're following Apollos, or you're following Paul, and Christ has given you all three of them. It does not make sense for you to just be following one. All of them are yours. There is no reason to boast. There is no reason to be in this faction. One commentator says, All ministers belong to and serve the church. Therefore, we should never claim to follow just one particular minister. These Corinthians were limiting themselves by clinging to only one minister. God has given given many teachers and preachers to the body of Christ, the church, to build it up. Instead of enriching themselves, these Corinthians were impoverishing themselves by following one particular minister in preacher worship, which is a form of idolatry. They were actually being narrow. Paul is saying, that does not make any sense for you to boast in any of them All of them are yours. Idolatry is putting anything or anyone above Jesus Christ the Lord. God has told us he will never share his glory with any man. These Corinthians did not belong to any human leader. They belonged only to Christ and owed allegiance only to him. By exalting human leaders, these Corinthians were acting like their own masters rather than as people who belong to the Master, Jesus Christ. And, and so, um, when Daniel preached, you know, he was saying about the different preachers and, and taking digs a little bit. 
But all, all are yours. God has given Central four pastors. That is great. And we are all different, very much different. <laughs> all are yours. Christ has gifted His church for, for the building up, for your edification so that we grow, so that we all together can grow. Don't be narrow-minded as the Corinthians. There is no reason to be in a fractured manner. John MacArthur says, The greatest possible motive for maintaining the unity of the Spirit and for avoiding church division is knowing that we belong to Christ and that Christ belongs to God because we all belong to Him. We all belong to each other. We are tied together in an eternal oneness with God the Father and Jesus Christ and thus with each other in them. How can men who are so much one be divided? It begins with failure to understand the reality of our spiritual unity in the one who is our possessor. See, the problem is that we think of ourselves and maybe even other men as our masters. If, if you go on Twitter, you can actually clearly see this where... You have to, it's almost like you have to say, agree with your hero. <laughs> it, it, it almost feels like it is a master. There's a possession here. And Paul is reminded, Christ is your master. You belong to him. All things are yours. God is the owner of everything. There is no man that you can boast about. And so, tonight as I wrap things up, as you think on, on the particular ministry or building that God has placed into your hands, we, we've heard a lot in terms of, of, of ministry, and maybe you're thinking, oh, this is more applicable for pastors, but... Oh, oh, how is, how is children's ministry or youth ministry or, or, or in the worship or, or tea? What foundation? How are you serving the Lord? Is Christ still the stone, the rock? Is He still your foundation? Are you, are you glorifying Him as you build your ministry? As you labor for Him? What kind of foundation are you putting? What are you building on? Is it Christ or is it something else? And are you, by God's grace, building anything? Are you serving anywhere? God did not call us to just be sitting on chairs. God has gifted each one of us differently and has called us to labor in His work, to build His kingdom, recognizing that He is the master. May the Lord help each one of us to have clear who our true master is, that Christ is ours, that we belong to him. Let us pray.
Lord, forgive us where we have been putting men on, on pedestal, where we have maybe been boasting on, on men. Forgive us where we have laid different foundations, where, where we have put ourselves in a place where we shouldn't be, where people are just looking at us as if we were the foundation. Or forgive me where I have done that. Would you help each one of us to build your church, to be faithful in the labor that you have placed in our hands for your glory, for your magnificent name? So would you please help us, Lord, daily. We are prone to wonder. We are prone to put ourselves in the spotlight. We are prone to want to receive praise for everything. Help us to just be servants, to wait for the reward in the day to come, to give you all the glory. Help us to be united in this work. Help us to be one because of our union in Christ. Would you help us with all of that? I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.